0: Bet the process. Bet, bet, bet. bet. The process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for you're in the wrong place, find a town with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey body rankings, crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line. Welcome
1: to the latest episode of the Bet the Process podcast, where Rufus and I have realized that we suck alone i'm gonna bring cool guests on so we got peter jennings on the um anchor from canada that did uh, nightly news on abc back in the day peter you're like what 95 years old is peter jennings still alive the other peter jennings
0: he died of lung cancer cigarettes like, got him
1: oh god i used to watch that guy every night when i was a kid it was it was local news and then peter jennings that was that was the shit what, how old was he when he died? He was like in his 50s. He was pretty young. It was tragic. There's no fucking chance he was in his 50s. No chance. I'm taking the over on 50s. Okay, Googling it right now.
0: I, I would guess low, young, low 60s is my guess.
1: Yeah, I definitely take, you would definitely take over 50s, right?
0: Okay, we could have done a lot of things right off the bat.
1: Okay, yeah, he was uh, 67. Oh, so yeah. Jeff was easily. I was wrong yeah. too. Yeah, I was wrong. Okay, let's just keep that recording of Rufus saying he was wrong. Um, No, so we are doing this essentially because last week we were talking about the traits of a good gambler. And I think both of us have always, I mean, I've always been impressed by the way that um, Peter thinks. I met Peter. Peter, do you remember when you and I met for the first time?
0: I remember having dinner with Matthew Barry together, but I don't know if that was the first time that we met. It was probably at Sloan, I would guess.
1: No, I think the first time we ever met was in that uh, hotel bar in Connecticut when we were both doing shit for ESPN.
0: Yeah, and then we had dinner with Matthew Berry, right? That night? Yeah. Ooh. I yeah. remember that bar, though. That bar was legendary. It was like a mix of, you know, locals from Connecticut and then all the, you would know, have – And then the random ESPN yeah, people were like, oh, would God. be hanging out and yeah. – yeah. Is this the hotel that they
1: put you up in if you're staying overnight, Rufus? You never worked for ESPN. Just stop uh, pretending. Is I remember like seeing Brett Bielema and uh, who, like they, another SEC coach. Um, okay, Brett Bielema. I guess he was there. an SEC coach yeah. at that time. Arkansas. Think, Arkansas. He was at Arkansas, and he. I remember him and his whole staff were were, were there because they have to do every team had to do their ESPN hits, but um, I, I didn't get. I didn't get as cool people as you two and Matthew Barry. Okay. First of all, Matthew Barry is not cool and he doesn't listen to this podcast, so we can insult him as much as he was and he loves Schwimmer. So let's move on from there. (laughs) Um, So Peter, okay. Let's talk about daily fantasy. What trait, like how did you even get into doing DFS? What were you doing before DFS?
0: So I listened to your guys last podcast. I listened to every episode, but I enjoyed your last podcast. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Kissing ass right off the bat, but you know, there's not, it's hard. There's not a ton of uh, authentic, great betting podcasts out there. So it's been, it's been fun to hear you guys riff, but uh, I particularly liked last episode just because I do think there's some overlap and differences between what makes successful bettors, uh, investors, gamblers, whatever you want to call it uh, in these different sectors. But yeah, my, my background, I was a poker player in college, uh, you know, not wildly successful, but as successful enough to, to make a living and pay my bills in college. And then Black Friday happened right as I graduated. So I was a stockbroker for a year, but uh, always was looking for something entrepreneurial. And I was in the right place at the right time when DFS was really starting to take off in 2012 and qualified for the FanDuel Championship. And uh, I was, you know, young didn't have any anyone to support and uh quit my job to pursue daily fantasy full time and was fortunate enough to to win that tournament um so that was kind of how much G's- money
1: was involved in that
0: tournament that was one hundred fifty thousand, which was like all the money in the world at the time to me and uh was the first six-figure prize in dfs 2012 FanDuel football championship
1: have you have you ever had a win that felt as good as that one
0: that or the million were pretty close, honestly. Which Wait, like you
1: won a million two. dollar contest? Yeah. Damn, this yeah. Is, we're talking to
0: a millionaire, Jeff. I guarantee okay, I'm the poorest guy on the podcast.
1: Don't don't belittle don't belittle his million dollar win. I want to hear. Oh, I'm not, I'm not I'm not belittling him. <laughs> Explain to me the million million dollar win. I want to hear this. And who's a who's a better golfer, you or Rufus? That's a real question. Oh, Pete, for sure. We're close. Sure. What's your handicap, Pete?
0: Um, a seven and a half index right now, but I, I've gotten down to like a three or four. Uh, but I have a lot of variance in my game. I shot 39 with my round of tiger on the front nine and over 50 on the Wait, back. Wait, so what's line, the story with including, you? Including tiger. shanking it with a DJ on 16 at Riviera. Most, embar- so like so this most embarrassing like a charity
1: event or something. And you, you won a, a, a it was a- the
0: pro-am. I, I won a poker tournament at tiger jam. So I won uh, tiger's charity event. Which Did they play that at Cascada? No, that was at uh, – it's at the MGM. He has, like, an event at Shadow Creek and then yeah. all these different things. So I won his charity event, and the grand prize for that is a round with Tiger. Got it. And was he
1: was – he, was it fun to play with him or
0: – Oh, it was great. I mean, it was super fun. We had uh, Dr. Condoleezza Rice in the group and then a big exec from uh, Genesis. And, uh, I mean, it was wild. Huge crowd. You know, it's really. Oh, so this so is LA. right
1: before the Genesis, the yeah,
0: Oh, right. Yeah, so it was an immense amount of pressure. I started off like 9.5 out of 10 in terms of my expectation, and then I went to a negative 5, including the most embarrassed I've ever been on a golf course by a lot. But Which was? was? Shanking it on 16. Literally had a DJ that was like on the 16th hole like rapping uh, for all the players that are hitting. And uh, I literally shanked the shot before right next to Tiger on 15, and I was already worried about that's like my big – bugaboo uh, with my golf game is that that can that can kind of come in at certain times and uh yeah shanked it with a dj got made fun of it was uh quite embarrassing but overall it was really fun tiger couldn't have been cooler uh there's some fun stories and uh yeah it was, it was a great experience so why did why
1: did uh how many strokes did bz give you or did you give bz
0: so we played, uh, we've played a couple different times. Uh, it's normally like – I think I'm giving him like five or so on average.
1: <laughs> you guys should – at Riv, you should probably play even. So if you guys don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about this guy, Brian Zurif, who is um, the creator of Ray Donovan. Um, he has a sports betting story unto himself that we won't cover on this podcast. And um, he – is the guy that is pretty much the brains behind the match, which is the new Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning uh, competition that's going to happen in May, which is really exciting. And unlike – so ESPN, by the way, has completely effed up everything they've done during this whole lockdown – by creating these unbelievable events but making them un- unable to bet on them by making them t- tape-delayed. Like how ridiculous is that? Do you, I mean, does this bother you guys like it bothers me or do you not care? Well, what are these unbelievable events you're talking about? Well, they're not – um, I mean, they, they created a, a NBA 2K tournament where NBA players were playing and they were streaming the thing as they were playing against each other and it was a real tournament. And they tape-delayed it, so you actually couldn't bet on it. Then they did a horse tournament between um, real NBA players and WNBA players and some retired NBA players. They put it on prime time, and they did the same thing again. They tape-delayed it, so you couldn't bet on it. So maybe they're not unbelievable events, but at least they're live. They should be live television that would be fun to bet on. But, like, because I, there was no betting on them, I didn't even watch them, Right. Like, I didn't even care about them. I will watch the Action Network's NBA 2K King of the Hill tournament because it's live and I did a draft with people and, like, legitimately care about it. Like, I'll be sitting at the dinner table, like, streaming it in my phone, watching it, sweating it like I sweat a real game just because, like, I got something on it. But, like, ESPN just misses the mark by creating these, like, competitions that could be live and we could bet on but but we can't like wouldn't you rather bet on that than taiwanese or whatever it was belarusian soccer or taiwanese baseball no one's as fired up about this as i am so maybe we should no, just forget I, about talking about this
0: i agree with you and i'm excited for the match because of that i mean i think there's going to be more betting opportunities than ever and yeah the king of the hill tournament i, I saw your draft know everyone in your draft uh I, was, I i thought you had the best draft but i also am super biased i thought james harden you know, in real life, not the video game, would be by far the the top one-on-one player. Uh, I know I mean, Giannis did, and LeBron, did, but like...
1: Yeah, he did fine. Like Harden, in real life, Harden probably would not have shot a, shot a one-point shot. He would have shot... It'd either be two. a
0: wide-open layup or dunk, or it'd be a, a two, right? Like, he's either he's setting up twos most of the time, or he's getting layups and dunks. So that part was a little... There's so much posting up. Like, all these guys just end up posting each other up, which... You know, it's just a video game, but I agree with you. Having an actual action on the game is imperative. I mean, I don't know yeah. about you guys, but I struggle to watch any sporting event without action now, and I'm, like, but, a huge sports enthusiast.
1: But that's, First, a diff- like, this is the Rufus. We've talked about this before. Rufus no, is not a sweater. Rufus is, like, so dispassionately, he, he like, legitimately just thinks about this as a financial transaction. That is that yeah, is yeah. so false. That is You have so no soul, false. basically. That no is so false. Yeah. Soul. I think Those about it is that so soulless, soulless. For me, it's not betting per se. It's it's the game of it. So obviously, I, I still you know there still is some sweat um, occasionally. But but I don't even know what you guys were talking about with this. Like I don't even know what, what it was called. Um, yeah, King of, the you know, the Hill. King of Yeah, King of the Hill. Yeah, yeah. And the, I mean old show on Fox. Okay, so take a step back for a second I, and let's go I would back draft Hank Hill. I think, we'll talk, no, I want to talk about I want to talk about the Tiger Woods thing because I think it'd be interesting. You said you think there'll be so many things to bet on. Okay, so the rumor is that it's going to be an alternate shot format, right? And do you think that's the best format for this match?
0: I think because it's golfers. What I think it's hundred percent the best format for this match because I think best case is that we have critical shots being hit by Brady and Manning. I think that is going to be the most compelling television. I think that'll be the most interesting from a betting perspective. I really want to see high pressure shots from those guys. Cause watching Tiger and Phil, like I guess Phil's a little more erratic and you know, he can have these incredible shots, but I want to see like these high pressure shots from those guys. And then also that will put Tiger and Phil in these kind of weird spots too. So there's a lot of game management and, I personally think that that's going to create the best format. It's like best ball or something. It's just going to be a lot of, well, so you know, like what are the other
1: legitimate formats that it could be? It could be best ball, scramble, it could be scramble. but there'd be a
0: birdie fest? right? Like if they're doing a scramble, it's going to be a total birdie fest. which yeah. I, I want to see some pain and like bogey be double bogey. Cause you know, an erratic shot or whatever. Like they're, I mean, these guys aren't bad golfers. Like, you know, Manning's a real golfer probably like a six handicap i think brady's an eight or something like that right now so they're not going to be hitting that many horrible shots but it's still possible that we see you know some s- and some misses this he- is that we wouldn't see from professional golfers well i so,
1: want to see like t- tiger like telling peyton manning to just like put it here to not put the water in play and just let him hit the next shot well so that's uh-huh. like so that's a that's like a nerdy golf thing right and It would be great to make like what Peter said, I think is interesting because that takes that, that's like mainstream, like interesting, right? That like is accessible where you have to see these amazing athletes who've clearly been in the most pressured situation go into something that's completely out of their element, right? And have to try to hit something. So, okay. Let's so it's best ball, right? And with, uh, sorry, it's alternate shot if it is alternate shot. And with alternate shot, there's no handicap, right? So that takes right. like another level of confusion out of it or something like that. What kind of prop bets would you guys like to see? And hopefully we can get someone from like Chris or you know, people like that to think about this and we can suggest these prop bets to them, right? Like Rufus, I don't know if you know anyone that handles golf at Chris, but maybe we can, we can talk to them about it. Um, what are some of the things like prop bet first player to, you know, uh, hit the ball out of bounds first player to hit the ball into a hazard. Like what, what would you guys want to see as like prop bets?
0: So I, I want to see in general with betting on golf, the ability to bet on like every hole and every shot. And I think right. this is the perfect format. So you could just start off with something that would be simple, especially if the broadcast is good enough. And like, you feel good. I mean, it's going to be the only thing going on. So it should be reliable in terms of the feed and the books being able to put up lines quick enough, but like start of every hole, Birdie and play what well, there's a price on that car and then bogey. so
1: so the first thing that needs to happen is they actually need to take a significant a, a relatively significant amount of time between holes because regardless of like everything you're saying there the the time frame between holes and with like say 30 second latency on a broadcast you're going to need that window to be like three to five minutes at least for it to be enough action Because otherwise, like most people are going to freak out. Most of the sports books are not going to take like that big an action in that window, right? So Mm -hmm. you need that window to be as big as possible. So these are like literally like we're going to get the people that are in charge of this format, this broadcast to listen to this podcast. We're going to make them sit down and listen to this because we're going to give them real suggestions on what they should do.
0: I think that can organically happen, Jeff, and I agree with you. I think the way that happens is that they have natural conversations around bets, right? They talk about, oh. So you make
1: them bet each other.
0: You make them bet each other, which I think will will be great content. And then that gives time for the books to put something up. The books could potentially put up what they're betting, but I think like every hole there should be certain bets. Hole in one is a very easy one to throw up there. I mean, there's bets on that for every tournament. Obviously, there'd be long odds. People love lottery payouts, Um, you know. Hitting the fairway, hitting the green on par threes. I mean, there's a million prop bets. You could put, you know, will there be a Sandy on this hole? I mean, that that's not a great suggestion, but there's. I think there's a, a ton of different ways they can go. What are your thoughts, Rufus?
1: Well, I think William Hill's going to be booking a hole-in-one at 40-to-one odds probably. Oh, my God. No, but, Rufus, <laughs> take, take, take your, like, we need an f- edge in every bet I make and instead put your hat on of, like, someone that's watching this with – your eli and with your brother and just wants to have something fun on this on each hole like what would you because like so peter i agree that there's tons of things that they could do but what should they do like what is the simplest thing that they should do on each hole like you could certainly do on each hole who's going to win right and so like have a money line on each hole who's going to win you could do a three-way on that right which is going to be win better like win better tie or whatever right or and then a two-way or whatever but then what else could you do? You could do will either play or birdie. You could do a prop bet on like each person to birdie or par or what their exact score is. But I guess like I'm, what I'm trying to get at is yes, we can think about a million things, but what's the most, what's, what would be the most fun thing? I have an idea here. So uh, wait, what course is this going to be on first off? The rumor is it's going to be somewhere in Florida. Okay. I mean, if it's on a course. So I don't know if they could do this, but I think DeSantis is the only governor that's gonna let them do it. But anyways. Well, you have Arizona too, where golf is essential. In Georgia right now, where golf is where by the time that's happening, everyone's gonna be dead in Georgia, but theaters are essential there too, right? So I think if you could have something that basically like a bet on on which players actually contribute the most and the least type thing. So my thought is that if, if they had, like a, like, a strokes gain type thing, because, you know, you, you normally have the strokes gain. i like did you naturally gravitate to the most complicated bet possible? Well, I was trying to think of a way, because if it's also a shot, I, I was like, like, like which player actually wins the hole? Um, but, it, it, you know, you know who's hitting first and all that. So, my thought is, like, I want to see if, like, you know, Tom Brady is, you know, negative seven strokes gained in the round, whereas Tiger was, like, you know, plus three. Or, I don't know. Um, so something where we can basically bet on what on what Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are gonna be doing. I think that's something, but also just even even something as simple as like who will hit the winning shot is kind of interesting, right? Like who puts the ball, although I guess they might but concede. The, but the problem right, of who puts the ball in the hole is like gonna be very much driven by like if it's a par four. Um, and you know, who's teeing but off, but that's, first. but that's why it's fun. Right. Because like Ooh. it's, there's not a ton of skill and there's a lot of randomness and you're just like, there's like all these things that could happen on the whole. You're like, I want, I want you like, you're, you're watching like Peyton putt and you're like, I want Peyton to get it close, but not put it in. So that so-and-so can put it in there. So here's the problem. So I like that idea, but the problem with that is you want, if people are going to be having to do it quickly, you want something that people, that's not going to be overly complicated and where you won't have to go because. You're talking about doing strokes gained as a bet as a. That was more for the entire round type thing. if if They were doing that. (laughs) That was more, that's a pipe dream. I don't think, you know, but I I think. I agree with you. It needs to be simple, but that's just not in your brand. Better. I think the simple, but I think just literally like who, you know, the team A, Team B, push. Um, you could have stuff on will there be um, – will any team win the parlays like, the next three holes or, you know, whatever, stuff like that.
0: Okay, so birdie, so birdie par, and bogey or worse, and then who wins? I think those are easy for a hole bets. And but it'd be
1: whatever, fun to do, like, some bridge jumper bets, though, too, right? Like, yeah. throughout the round, some, like, long odds bets that you could – like, what would be those long end prop if bets? That you-
0: so DraftKings has a bonus – for fantasy points, if you make three birdies in a row? Like, what would you think the price, if they're doing alternate shot of either one making three birdies in a row? It's got to be crazy high. Alternate so that's shot. Like,
1: there, therein lies a good one. Although, I don't like prop bets where it's either – like, I, I want to have, like, a rooting interest in one team, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, then you – I mean, I guess the, the the thing would be you could bet on one team to do it. But that would probably be, like you said, really long odds. Um, Super
0: long odds, I would think. I mean,
1: Rufus, Rufus what would you make answer. that? Like, right off the top, what would you make that? Yeah, I don't want to give away my secrets. <laughs> yeah. No, either either team, three birdies in a row. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't, what what are Brady and Manning's handicaps? Six and eight.
0: Let's just say they're six and eight. Okay,
1: nine. so what would you say a six and an eight handicap, what, like if you were playing – I mean, I don't know how, how tough the course is going to be set up. Like PGA Tour toughness? Like, what would be – like, Peter, what's your – okay, so – Basically, it, they're like Peter Jennings golfing.
0: So, Peter, what's like your birdie rate? What percentage of holes do you birdie? <laughs> they're they're better than me, but uh, I mean, I'm not making three birdies in a row very often. No, but how often are you making? A round is like one and a half to two birdies around. One okay. and a
1: half, probably. So we'll say we'll say so like ten percent of holes, approximately. A little, a little less. A little less. Okay, somewhere in that range. So if you literally, you know, I mean, quick and dirty, I would base, you know, and, and what's like Tiger and Phil's birdie rate what are they making like I, it all depends on the course setup though let's say if they're making like six birdies around or something yeah i was gonna say a third so yeah So it's like is it weighted between those two numbers and then just multiply them times multiply them there's well they'll, they'll each be
0: hitting half the shots but some shots matter more than others the approach really matters i mean that's going to be the key If i'm i think it's much better having played a lot of alternate shot and you know you see these member guests Alternate shot is when teams just totally implode. And I have imploded myself many a times in these alternate shot formats. But the key for this group would be I would want Peyton and Tom hitting the tee shot, Phil and Tiger hitting the approaches, and then from there.
1: Well, I'd especially want Phil hitting the approach. Like, you put put somebody bad off the tee. I mean, Phil's going to hit it better out of the bushes than he will from the fairway anyway.
0: Yeah. But the approach shot is where there's so much more – these, these, these guys are gaining so much more than an average.
1: Do you think that – so there will be times – okay, how about this? Will Tiger – sorry, will Brady or Manning ever outdrive Phil or Tiger? That's a good one.
0: That is a good one. I think I think Manning has – he kind of hits like a low draw. I think Peyton has some sneaky upside with his power. But, I mean okay, – what, what are some other ones
1: that we can do that are like that? Because that's – at the that's core, fun. that's kind I of like the, that. Yeah. Rufus, you got any ideas? I don't know, man. I'm excited to watch
0: it though. I'm just excited to listen to the banter. They have to the, the best idea we've had, Jeff, is they need to have time between the holes so that yeah. markets can be made. And there needs to be a lot of banter between the groups. We need like, them I think the four of them will have a lot more smack talk. So
1: like. realistically, they need someone like um, someone like us with more personality on TV to like go in there and challenge them in between holes on certain bets that they could make. Barkley would be great. Right. I think, I think you but need someone the problem. Is need telling someone... them like the odds of them make, you know, someone trying to tell Tiger Woods, the odds of him like making a birdie here and just make getting him all pissed off. But you need, but it's see, like, the uh... thing is in that situation though, as great as Barkley is, you need someone that understands how to create a prop bet and Barkley probably only knows how to create that when he's involved and he's one of the players. You know, like you need someone that actually is like an like a off the cuff bookmaker. So, anyways, let's let's move off from this because we kind of are nerding out on on uh, golf too much. It's and gonna be amazing. To, yeah, let's move on to something that you were we were you were referencing, and we kind of talked about, which is like the lottery aspect of sports betting. Like one of the things that makes things really interesting is when you can win a lot to win a little, and when we were texting before this you were referencing that that's one of the things that you made that you think made DFS so successful. Can you talk a little bit about that concept and how you think um, that might inform the world on what they need to do when thinking about making sports betting legal?
0: Yeah, I think that's the really big thing that made DFS explode. Um, you know, it really started to take off once they had the liquidity in the market to offer, you know, a hundred thousand to first every night. And then you know, it got big enough to the NFL where they had millionaire makers every single weekend, and that's when DraftKings and FanDuel just exploded. Is when they had, you know, that big liquidity, and those contests really took off. And if you look at where DFS is now, uh, it's every night there's a three dollar tournament that pays a couple hundred grand to first, or you know, a six figure prize to first. Uh, there's a millionaire maker every single weekend still, and you see that for golf majors, some of these other sports now have millionaire makers, which is really, really uh, a big driver because people want to come in and invest a little and win a lot. So we see that in sports betting, you know, people are making all these stupid parlay bets every single day because they want that, you know, life-changing moment. And I'm excited to see kind of the evolution of the industry. And if there's other, you know, big moments or, or things that the operators can offer that are enticing in that regard, for the fan. Cause I think most people don't want to grind. I think that's, you know, the casual fan wants to come in and either get entertainment or they want that opportunity to win a lot of money. So what do you guys think in terms of how that evolves? I mean, I no points bets made, you know, so you can have a higher payout on like spread bets and you know, there's some interesting parlay stuff out there, but like at star street, for example, our most popular game was a pick five game where you had five fantasy matchups. So it'd be like Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning, you know, uh, Saquon Barkley versus Le'Veon Bell, five matchups all the way down, and you could pick three out of five to double your money, or you could pick all five right to get 20 times your money, and everyone picked pick all five right to get 20 to one on your money, even though that should be one in 32 if it was really a 50-50 matchup. So people love lottery payouts, and I'm curious to see how that, that transitions into other games.
1: Are you talking about my good friend, Saquon Barkley, the one that gave me his cell phone number at Sloan?
0: He is your buddy, huh? How about is, is he giving you a workout test? I mean, that guy's, oh my gosh. I mean,
1: yeah, he's, we pretty much do the same workouts typically. And, you know, it's, it's about the same. Um, it's interesting that you said all of this because I kind of think the key to legalized sports betting is really around these two concepts that I think are really interesting are paramutual and progressive. And paramutual, I uh, think, allows, the sports books, not to take on a lot of risk. And then, um, paramutu- uh, sorry, progressive allows them to create these laddering mentalities. But the problem with it is, 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 um, is the wire act, right? Because they can't get enough liquidity across States to really create hugely progressive pools. Um, it sounds like in daily fantasy, that wasn't the case, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the best part about it. It's peer to peer and they just, they can, they can make contests as big as they want. And, you know, as long as they guarantee the prize pool. And that was the big thing with the UIGA they just had to guarantee the prize pool. So DraftKings really uh, grew the industry and had a really interesting strategy to be a player as an operator. They came in, they guaranteed all these prize pools that they knew they couldn't fill. And so they were paying out money out of their own pockets, but they had raised so much venture money that they could afford to kind of light this money on fire, quote unquote. But in reality, it was actually a smart strategy because they artificially built up the ecosystem and liquidity in the market, and they caught up the FanDuel really quickly, and that enabled them to raise a bunch of money and continue to grow.
1: I mean, essentially, they put money into the system that they knew was going to come back to them, right? It's almost yeah. like this like government stimulus that we're doing. And, and they,
0: they were smart enough to realize, okay, yes, we're losing this money in the short term, but we're bringing in all these new users because everyone wants to come play these tournaments where they can invest a small amount and win a lot.
1: They're taking the same approach with legalized sports betting in, in New Jersey and other states as well. question is, do you think it'll be as successful there as it has been um, in the DFS? Is, is the value of getting getting that customer in the door um, the same?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of different numbers being thrown out. CPAs are really high for for bettors, mm-hmm. and I do think uh, it's really valuable. But I think the, the the critical thing for these operators is building that brand and that loyalty with customers. That's a challenge. I mean, I really do think that that's a challenge for these operators. And obviously we're in a certain, you know, professional betters think about things differently. But, you know, they really need to to build that out to, to have the trust of the customers. So, yes, I do think it makes sense, but it's not just acquiring them. You need to, to build that loyalty to keep them.
1: So I think I mean I, I've been wondering where the DF ind- DFS industry is going to go now that we do have legalized sports betting and if that's going to actually help it or hurt it and, and you know I think for for sharp betters uh, the benefit is that you know it, it's it's like poker and the fact that that the DFS operators are basically collecting a rake and so they have no you know they 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 want they they want sharp action um, whereas sharp betters can get limited betting props and other things, uh, or full game stuff. Um, it, it, legal sports books. And so I feel like there will always be interest among sharps in DFS. Um, but what about the sort of minnows in the ecosystem, the people that are doing it because it's, um, because it's gambling, essentially. And, and it was the only, it was the only thing out there, I guess, or the fact that they were eight between the ages of 18 and 20. And, and, and so they, um, where, where it was legal and. is your question like are the minnows going to be gone because instead of dfs they're going to go to sports betting that's yeah that's what i was getting at and yeah but thank you for taking my thunder jeff i appreciate it well sometimes it takes you a long time to get to the point and i have to help you get to the point it, like my the over under on how long it would have taken you to get to the point it was another like 10 to 15 minutes
0: so it's, I, it's a good question i think uh I think the minnows will still play DFS for the lottery type payouts. What's really changed in the DFS industry that I I don't think will revert back to kind of the the heavy growth days is the cash games where people are really grinding and trying to build up a bankroll. And I think one big benefit uh, that DFS had and that poker had and that sports betting doesn't have. And I actually, it's one concern I have for sports betting as an industry as a whole is kind of the aspirational, uh, you know, impact that, you know, becoming a professional poker player, professional DFS player had on the industries. Like poker blew up when Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker and people saw that, you know, everyday count and they're like, oh, I can be Chris Moneymaker. And DFS, I think really picked up steam in like 2014, 15, 16, 17 with the allure of becoming a professional DFS player. I think people have some aspiration to be a professional sports better, but there's all these challenges and, you know the the huge wins aren't as publicized and as you guys know, like once you start really making money in sports betting, you face all these other hurdles. Getting money down being one of the biggest objectives or biggest biggest hurdles. So um, curious uh, that's one thing I worry about for sports betting is that the same aspirational impact won't be as prevalent in, in the industry.
1: Well speaking of the aspirational impact, what percentage of of DFS pros do you think actually are? Um you know, are plus E I guess plus E V and, and and are actually good enough to do it for a living, like if they had to, to do it all over again versus people that just basically are the product of positive variants.
0: I think like one to two percent make decent money, um, and maybe 0001 percent make like real money to live off of, and then you know, another point like with four zeros, the one make great money um in the scheme of like the industry
1: but um, of the wait of the people that make that have made money to live off of
0: or it, it i guess call themselves dfs pros
1: how many of those have just been the people that got lucky essentially because winning winning these big payout contests is you know there's variance involved there right and so i guess out of the pros how many do you think actually are plus EV?
0: Uh, not nearly as many now. I think there's a combination of people who had a big prize or, or ran good with a couple tournaments. And then a lot of people, and I, you know, I fall into this bucket for sure to a degree is, you know, if you were coming up during the, the boom, you benefited from what I talked about with DraftKings, all that overlay and, you know, artificial money being pumped into the system, softer games, uh, you know, people really didn't know what they're doing. And now it's so much tougher. The market's gotten more efficient. DraftKings and FanDuel are, you know, turning these businesses into cash cows. So they're, you know, they've increased the, the rake uh, on, on DFS contests. So it's much, much harder to have a sustainable edge now. And yeah, I would guess, you know, especially now, uh, 30% of those people have an edge or something. Like it's, it's so much harder to have a consistent edge, especially now. Uh, and there's a lot of quote unquote pros that have, you know, completely fallen off and are no longer in the DFS streets.
1: But this isn't dissimilar, right, to sports betting in terms of that breakdown. I mean, that you're saying like the top one percent are the only people that are actually really making any money. And would you say, Rufus, that that's bigger or smaller than the you know sports betters? You know, I think it's probably pretty similar. I wonder how it compares to poker players too.
0: Yeah, I think or the I think player. poker. The nice thing for poker that doesn't exist in DFS, um, it's good and bad. There's a, the benefit for the top players in DFS, but it helps kind of distribute the money more evenly for poker players. Is that you know, poker players can only play so many tables at once. So the best players are never going to be playing like fifty cent a dollar uh, because they're going to be playing higher tables so they can get a higher ROI. Uh, you know, so if you're not good enough to win at the absolute highest stakes, you can and you're still a good player. You can drop down in stakes and find games that you can win at. In DFS, uh, you used to be able to sit literally every single game. Uh, they've changed it so, like, top players now can only sit $5 in higher games. But for the most part, good players, you know, could sit at all these different stakes. And you're not limited by, you know, how many different tables you can play. You can play as many as you want. You can put one line up in thousands of contests. So that's made the distribution of, you know, wealth in the ecosystem shift even more to, like, the top, top, you know, I'd even argue it's like 0.1% of people making real money and um, in, in DFS. So poker has a better distribution for the whole ecosystem, but uh, sports betting, I, I don't know how that that distribution works because you guys are all competing against the house. That's a good Other point exchanges. The peer to peer markets are obviously different, but the majority of sports bettors are so, still making. So money
1: it sounds like them. you don't bet on sports yourself.
0: I do a little bit, but by no means am I a great sports better. Um, I've dabbled in it, and uh, I'm trying to to learn as much as I can. I think my the only edges I really have now are line shopping, and you know maybe some news-based bets. Uh, there used to be some big edges in NBA. You know, one thing I'm proud of at Fantasy Labs is our, you know, NBA team. Uh, the Fantasy Labs team is still the quickest to break the NBA news, so there used to be a big edge there, but that's also eroded. Um, so nothing with like my own models or anything that would have a, a big enough edge to win in sports betting.
1: So aren't there similarities, I guess, between betting props and DFS? I mean, and I know obviously with DFS, you have all the game theory and the ownership stuff, but I mean, um, I would think there'd be some similarities there.
0: Yeah. Betting props is actually uh, one, one area that I've been able to win at. Uh, but the problem is you can't win at props for, for very long and you can't win at props at the scale that is uh, enticing um so yes props is another area but that's like the quickest way to get limited um you know there's certain things like the super bowl or other big events where it might make more sense to to really pursue props but uh there's a lot more money to be made if you're a really good dfs player versus betting props
1: so can i ask then i mean what do you think makes someone a really great dfs player and i mean obviously i know you said it was a little bit it, it was different when you were coming up back in like 2012 versus now but but do those same skills still work or is it, is it different now?
0: It's changing a lot. And I did want to hit on uh, what you guys were talking about and why, you know, sports bettors, I think sports bettors can be decent poker players. And I think we see that, but oftentimes, you know, sports bettors don't become the, you know, the all time greatest poker players. Poker players have historically really struggled with sports betting. I don't know very many poker players that have had a lot of success, uh, betting sports. And I know a ton of poker players who have dusted off a ton of money betting sports. Um, and I think that has to do with just the mentality. And I know you guys were talking about how poker players, you know, rely a lot on their intuition and feel. And, um, you know, I I do think poker's evolved where they're, they're doing a lot of work, you know, outside the tables, but a lot of the things that are really helpful in poker aren't that helpful, uh, in sports betting. And some of the traits that it takes to be a successful poker player, can actually be a detriment to you in sports betting, and in DFS, it's kind of a hybrid. And especially Wait, can, when you, just,
1: can you can you talk about that a little bit more? The 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 traits that it takes to be a good um, poker player and how there's a detrimental to sports betting.
0: I think uh, an intuition and like reading people and like the gut feel, which is obviously you know your subconscious, and there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, you know, I think the best poker players have great intuition and that great gut and i think a great so what, what is
1: what is, what so what does that mean exactly because like you're not literally saying that they have like brain cells in their stomach that help them understand what to do like what to you how do you define intuition and gut when it comes to poker and i'm not picking on you on this like this is literally no, no, no. like a fascinating thing to think about because like if you have intuition, you should be able to have intuition, right? If it's this innate quality that you have, you should be able to do it in almost every situation. So there must be something in poker that they're reading that they can understand that doesn't transfer to sports betting.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I wish I could answer it a little bit better, but one thing, you know, just, I think some people have a gift at reading people in person. They can read their body language. They can read their mannerisms. And I think, you know, from playing a lot of poker, you gain experience in that regard and just living life, you gain experience reading people's bodies. So it's,
1: it's not intuition then really, right? It's, it's reading people. It's using like the data that's stored in your brain from cues and from like pattern, like reckon, like, and then, and there's just a whole nother variable in poker that isn't there in sports betting. Right. And that variable is that the human is making a decision that you need to like basically look at and make a judgment on whether that like decision or what they're representing is, is correct or not. Right.
0: Yeah. I think that's really well said. Uh, and I think the best poker players can use a combination of those things and understand, okay, this guy's full of it here or this guy has this tendency that I can exploit. And then they try to use that same methodology in sports betting. And you might be able to pick up on some things like, Oh, I see that this player looks more confident last game or they can draw some conclusions based on what they're seeing. And oftentimes I think there's a lot of false signal in that and it's mostly noise. And I think it takes a very disciplined approach. I'm a big believer in in taking a quantitative approach in sports betting and and trying to predict sports and just going off your eyes and, and what you see, I think can be a very dangerous path. And poker players can convince themselves, I've won all this money at the poker table. Like I'm very good at this stuff. I'm a good gambler, quote unquote. I should be able to beat sports. And they apply that and they get crushed. So that that's what I've seen at least from, I know some amazing poker players that just can make these unbelievable reads when they know people are bluffing or make great bluffs themselves and they just completely dust it off in poker. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish I could explain it better, but I feel like that's, that that's the tendency that I see from, from these poker players. So So
1: what about DFS though? The original, like, so DFS, it is this hybrid. It's this place where sports bettors and poker players can be successful. Um, Yeah. What, what are the traits that, what, what, why is that?
0: So I'll start with poker. So so, so I got my background in poker in college. Uh, You know, I was a grinder. I was playing a very specific type of game playing sit and goes and, Multi-table tournaments, which was very dependent on understanding shoving ranges, and you know, I was using poker software and kind of developed an approach that could grind out a you know somewhat decent ROI at like small to medium stakes. And I was really cognizant of game selection and uh, learned to you know manage my bankroll and some things that were really helpful in DFS. Uh, so those traits transitioned really well. And then I think what gave me a lot of success early on that a lot of poker players uh, were able to pick up on is. There's so much good data in the sports betting markets that you can leverage for DFS. Like I don't think people knew about Pinnacle and these other sites in the early days of DFS, or even to look at, you know, money lines or look at props or all these things that were publicly available. If you looked at the markets and poker players, I think have been able to apply, you know, the, the, you know, bankroll management, uh, the process of playing poker successfully and, you know, taking other information and applying it to another game and using that well. And I think sports bettors, you know, have a great, you know, if you can beat the markets, you certainly can find inefficiencies uh, in the pricing. I think of the three, I'm most impressed by professional sports bettors. Um, and I think now we're seeing professional sports bettors have a lot more success. And especially in the last year, two years, the guys who are crushing DFS are, are good at game theory, which comes back to poker but they're really good at modeling and they have really sophisticated quantitative approaches.
1: So basically you take the best from, you take someone who, I mean, is good at both of those, the game theory and the modeling and they'll be a, and they will just absolutely destroy. huh?
0: Yeah. And poker players really took off in the beginning because there's overlay as well. Like that was a huge part of it. Like taking advantage of bonuses, taking advantage of overlay Uh, the one other thing about poker that's so critical that applies in DFS, that's not applicable as much in sports betting is game selection. And I guess you could say, you know, as a sports better, you're looking for the best lines, which is obviously critical, but you know, poker players, you know, average poker players can make a ton of money if they're playing against much worse poker players. And in DFS, the same thing applies. I mean, if you understand, okay, I found some terrible players, I'm just going to target them or I found contests where people play the same way and I can exploit that that's another thing that people can take from poker and apply to DFS. So
1: why do you think that um, more, or do you know of many professional sports bettors and Rufus, you might be able to answer the same question that uh, went into DFS when, when DFS was sort of a, you know, a, a money, you know, piggy or whatever, like a slot machine that like you could just get money out of like what, like why didn't more people do that? Cause it sounds like, as much as poker players were well suited to go after this, professional sports betters would have been even more um, suited to go after because they, like, understood sports, understood edge, and just built models. Because there was, there isn't the only thing maybe they didn't know is quite is the is the game theory aspect of it, which is a little bit different and probably a slightly nuanced skill from what they do in sports betting. Why why, why did the poker players tend to go more to DFS than the sports betters? I can't. Well, go ahead, Rufus. I can give you my opinion. So at the time I thought it was just a small potato that wasn't going to be around for very long. Uh, I remember, I remember actually meeting Peter at Sloan. What year was that? It was maybe 2013, 2014. I don't and know. You thought was Peter was a small potato? No, I didn't think, I mean, I knew he had won like the millionaire maker and all that. And I remember. And you, I, is that him. when you turned to me and you go, that guy ain't shit. <laughs> 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 no, sorry. That wasn't someone else. Sorry. <laughs> um i ended up i can't think of a witty witty retort to that but i i remember talking to i think star street was there they had a little booth at, at right. Sloan, and i remember talking to the guys and i was like how is this legal given the fact that my business partners and i had talked to a bunch of like we, we had we had just come from like a meeting in houston with a, with a lawyer and we, we talked to consulted with numerous lawyers over the years about the legality of sports betting and trying to make sure what we were doing was 100 percent legal Um, and basically everybody said that the DFS, no, there's no way that's going to remain legal. Um, and so that was my kind of, I mean, that's one reason I, I didn't think it was going to be around, um, for the long haul. And I also didn't think I was like, yeah, it doesn't seem like a big enough market to bother with, but I had no idea of the scale of it. I hadn't actually really looked into it, but I think I did, um, look into, I played a little bit of golf DFS, maybe in like 2015 or 2014, something like that. Just, um, just to try it out, but I was literally just going off my projections. And, and so, um, I, and I think, I don't think, I think I actually lost a little bit of money over like maybe four or five tournaments. And I was just like, it was so labor intensive. And I was just, you know, it, it just didn't seem worth my time at that point. But I, you know, if I could have gone back, I would have like given what I know now and, and, you know, knowing Peter and like knowing how, um, what those opportunities actually were. Um, I think I pro- I made a big mistake by not getting into it
0: earlier. Yeah, we're super lucky that the sophisticated bettors didn't jump in early. That did change, you know, as the boom really happened in 2015. But I think Rufus hit the nail on the head. I think the number one reason was sports bettors were appalled that DFS was legal. And I think out of principle, <laughs> just out of spite, a lot of people in the sports betting world just said, oh, you know, basically FDFS, I'm not going to get involved with this. Uh, you know, it's bullshit that it's legal and, and sports betting's is not. Uh, so I think that was a huge part of it. I think, you know, as it was growing you know, the biggest sports betters probably were better suited to just spend their time, you know, uh, investing in betting because you can still make more money. And then there's just this hyper growth in 2014, 2015. And if you weren't involved, um, you know, you just weren't aware of like the change and how much money you could make. But yeah, Rufus certainly, uh, I would guess left millions of dollars on the table by not playing DFS earlier. And then other sharp betters did as well. And now there's, there's definitely sharp guys. And, you know, there's guys who used to work at Pinnacle that are now, you know, in the streets. And, you know, there's a couple guys in particular that have sports betting backgrounds that are absolutely crushing it. And, uh, I do think the the top sports bettors are positioned the best to, to make money in the future with uh, DFS.
1: Okay. So let's move on. I don't, the last, only last topic that I want to talk about is a little bit about fantasy labs. Obviously it's, it's, uh, Tell me about how that all started and then um, what you guys are up to now with it. I I think for me, I've come across it, obviously, as in the NBA, where just the news or the, you know, like I'm constantly checking it to see if there's news about who's playing, who's hurt, blah, 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 because it it has, you know, historically been the best source to understand, you know, your Twitter handle to know who's
0: going to be playing.
1: So, how did you guys start that, and like, what 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 was the impetus behind that, and how how did that all come about?
0: Yeah, so Jonathan Bales and I built a relationship in uh, 2013. He wrote a bunch of books around fantasy football and, and specifically around DFS, and uh, we built a, a really good friendship. And you know, he was having success playing DFS with a, a little bit different style, and uh, we both, you know, were really interested in the business side of the industry. And we saw roto grinders really boom and. Rotogrinders had an incredible business. I mean, they made a ton of money off affiliate and DFS and uh, we saw kind of what they were able to do. And, you know, a lot of the content in the DFS industry was very toutish, just, you know, uh, top plays of the day, here's good values, uh, a lot of stuff that you see in sports betting. And we thought there was a really big opportunity to start something new that was much more data focused. Uh, And, you know, we thought there was a big opportunity also in news and then, like I said before, you know, the reason I think I had a, a big edge for a lot of years was, I think I deciphered and leveraged information from sharp markets specifically, uh, better than others. So I thought there was a big opportunity for us to, you know, put up line movement. And, you know, especially like in baseball, baseball used to be so easy back in the day, just on understanding that, okay, if I stack teams, that correlation edge is a huge, you know, factor and, and a big, big edge. And then, oh, If I stack the highest team totals every single day or specifically look at team totals where, uh, you know, you see, um, you know, a lot of line movement in a positive direction, uh, that's another thing. And then I said, oh, why are these, you know, team totals kind of moving up? Oh, it's the weather and maybe there's some umpire edges here. Like there's a variety of things I was able to learn from watching the market. I said, okay, this stuff would be really valuable as a tool uh, if we can put this stuff on a website this will actually help people understand sports better and get better at DFS. And we can actually teach people to go fishing instead of just trying to give them the fish, like every other, you know, kind of DFS content site out there. So that's why we started it. Uh, Jonathan Bills is a great partner. We were fortunate to, uh, work with the sports insights guys, uh, specifically the developers. Uh, we had tried to start a site before with outsource development and that was not successful. Uh, we needed technical co-founders. So, really fortunate that we had that partnership. They obviously had a lot of historical betting information that we thought was valuable. And uh, yeah, it, it blew up right away. We did a subscription service. Uh, we were amazed at how quickly it grew. And then in 2015, we had all the DFS problems uh, with legality. And uh, I'd met Mark Cuban actually at a, a same Tiger Woods charity event playing poker. And I reached out to him for advice. And uh, his advice was to let him invest, give confidence to our employees and of help the industry which was awesome and uh, Mark was super helpful and the company continued to grow and uh, we really wanted to get into sports betting and the content and tools side and uh, our one of the co-founders owned Sports Insights as well and uh, we looked to acquire his business and we had a deal in place and at the last second the Churnin group came in with a really big offer for Sports Insights and ultimately Fantasy Labs. So the Churnin group acquired the two companies rolled it up into the action network. And uh, we're here now. And, you know, I think it's been a really big learning experience. And uh, what I'm excited about now is uh, the labs teams back together. And we're really focused on trying to do something similar, Uh, you know, improving fantasy labs, we can definitely do things there, but also trying to take a more data driven approach to sports betting instead of just, you know, the traditional touting that uh, we see around the industry. So that's something we're focused on. And to your news question, specifically, that's always been a foundation for our business. I think that's one thing that I feel authentic about that provides value to people is, you know, putting out just news. Like sports news is super valuable to anyone who's speculating on sports, whether it be DFS or sports betting.
1: Well, now you got Darren Rovell, the ultimate news yeah. guy. Okay. Uh, can we, can we, can we yeah. not talk about I-
0: I'm that. excited for what
1: he's going to do when he loses his next bet. The... No, you're yeah, not absolutely. excited for it. I, I, I finally got to a point where Brian Mead was tired of me um, bitching to him about Ravel and I was like, I'm just going to unfollow Ravel on on Twitter and that'll just make it so that it, my blood pressure won't go yeah, up. Yeah. Mutual friend that? of all of
0: us. Brian Mead is an incredible human and uh, that's one thing, you know, I think there's been a lot of uh, challenges and learning experiences for everybody within the Action Network. And certainly, you know, you take a, espn culture and you know guys focused on top of the funnel and trying to have a big content business uh you know versus guys like us who you know want wanting wanted to make a data-driven product uh there's definitely going to be some challenges there but one thing that's been great that serves everybody is the action network app and uh, yeah absolutely. Brian, brian's done a great job of that and brian totally gets it like he's an authentic better and uh yeah. Just, it's a, He's kind
1: of a terrible thing. better, but yeah, let's, he is authentic. Uh,
0: he's not um, like he, he's like, he's, he,
1: he's, he's actually betting, right? Like he's not, no, no, no. I totally. And he likes to, he likes the sweat and yeah, it totally. No, I agree. Um, so back to this, I'm going to challenge you though on one notion, right? Like sure. the, the product that you said that you guys made for fantasy labs for DFS makes hundred percent complete sense. And I think it works, right? It provided value do you feel like that you can provide that same amount of value with the data product for sports betting? Because a lot of the sports insights information is not useful, right? Like the reverse line movement and all that kind of stuff. And like, that's one of the challenges, you know, like I, every guy who's smart that brings me an idea around using analytics to beat sports betting and then create a content business out of it. I literally look at them and I'm like, I want you to succeed more than anything, but I would bet against you every chance because to actually be able to deliver that value and and, and build a sustainable business out of that seems really challenging. Do you guys have an angle or do you believe that there's something there that's different than what's happened? And how do you, how do you actually do that, I guess is the question.
0: Uh, great question. Great point. You know, if you, let's say we could have you know, Rufus's model or something like that. We publicly made it available. Like you guys have talked about a ton on this podcast, which I respect so much. The value of that model would be eroded over time as people get access to it. Like there wouldn't be an edge with it. So I don't think we're going to come up with a model or come up with a product where we're saying, okay, you know, we're showing you the best bets every single day. Uh, Here's how you're going to go out and make a bunch of money uh, by betting it. I, I don't think that's possible. You know, you can, there's that, you know, diagram of like, you know, does the tout have good information? Yeah, yes or yeah. no? Like you can go through that whole thing. It's never going to work by just putting out something that's going to lead someone to the answers, right? However, I still think that there's an opportunity to build data and software to help people with information that could be valuable input. So the news, for example, uh, I think the news is still something that uh, we can build Tools around, and we can deliver news, especially in the college markets. I think there's a really big opportunity there. I think it's a daunting project to do college news well. Uh, line shopping. I think line shopping is imperative if you want to be a successful better. And I think the majority of recreational betters and people coming into the space, they want to pick the right side. I don't care what the right side is, I just want the right price, right? Um, so we can help people get better at finding better prices on the bets they want to make. I think there can be software and a product around that. Um, I think we can get into a lot of other things that are inputs that can be helpful for people, even just data. Like I know Rufus, one of your biggest challenges is is getting reliable data. So one thing we just partnered with the PGA tour uh, you know, I think the action Network's excited about some of the content and some of these other things, but one thing I'm personally excited about is the data from the PGA tour and how can we, you know, deliver that to people so that they can leverage it. So I think data, news, uh, real-time line shopping information could be a part of what makes kind of a higher-end sports betting product valuable. So I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but
1: it it seems to me that the big difference, I guess, between DFS and gambling and and why, I guess, the sort of uh, why Fantasy Labs has been successful but why those types of sites for sports betting really aren't is because sports betting is basically simple it's like you you model something and that's it whereas dfs is like you model something and then there's this whole nother layer on top of what everybody else is going to do and what's happened in previous contests so so i mean i guess the question like because to me i think fantasy labs is is, is excellent i love the data on ownership and being able to like i can look up someone's
0: i can look up and you can even look and see like what these top people are, are Yeah, what they're playing, where they have leverage, what players they picked in certain contests, and you can build your own models based on what inputs you want. Yeah, and and just just real quick to go back to that, I I think that's one huge challenge, but still there's a big opportunity because everyone in the sports betting industry is doing the same shit, and that's what's so troubling to me is that everyone's doing all the touting and they're trying to, you know, oh, we have this proprietary model that you can – now have access to for $200 a month and now you're going to become a winning better. There's all the same kind of greasy sales stuff. And to me, that means uh, the industry is ripe for disruption, but it is a daunting challenge. And you know, your question has a lot of merit because I don't think it's, you know, there's an easy solution, but I do think there are things that we can provide that would help uh, betters. And specifically, like I don't think we're going to be able to help someone like Rufus as much outside of maybe the data and news, but, the casual fan and the, the, you know, intermediate better. If we can educate them on looking for better prices, I think that's a service that will have value.
1: What well, well, that's, about? so that's, so that's totally different though, right? Like that's back to like the, the value of the, the action app itself. Like the mm-hmm. action itself takes the place of Don best and allows you to line shop in a better way. in like a, we're now in the 21st century kind of way. Yeah. That's right. that, that there's value there. And this is something that Brian and I have talked a lot about, which is why try to build a product for the masses, right? Instead, build this high-end subscription product where you do where you like look at what the things that Rufus wants that he can't automate. Like just to the point you said, like, agree, we, bingo, a
0: bingo, so, yeah, that's okay. the name of the game, Jeff. Like, like I totally agree, and we. All right the focus the focus was not the focus was on content and other things which i understand why that was the focus because of you know the churning group they they made this grand slam investment in barstool right they right. were early and understood betting was going to be the next big thing uh, they 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 tried to use a lot of the same playbook which i think is interesting I, I personally am drawn towards like this podcast and more you know, like what captain Jack's doing. I love that stuff. Like I want to see more content like that, but there is still the casual fan and that's, I, th- I think there's compelling content there. I just, I, what I want to make sure we stay away from and, and what happens in the industry is just less of the touting, no Vegas Dave stuff. Like, and, and I'm worried cause that stuff unfortunately seems to work for monetization, which is just what you guys harp on and what's so frustrating.
1: Well, can I ask um, really quickly about the DFS tout world versus the sports betting tout world? And I'm not as familiar with the DFS tout world, but, but I, still, I still can't understand why people, like it's given that it's a pair mutual, essentially pair mutual, like you're not blocking it odds. Like someone touting a particular um, player in lineups is going to, you know, it's going mean, to, the whole point is the guy's good if nobody knows that he's good. Right, so I mean I, I don't understand like can you tell me a little bit about that ecosystem and if touts there sort of have the same is it, is it, is it the same connotation is you know, or am I
0: like is, is it a big thing so it's interesting I've always I've talked a lot about this like there's stock touts there's sports betting touts there's DFS touts and then there's like regular fantasy when we talked about Matthew Barry earlier for whatever reason like fantasy touts have never gotten like any any like I mean, any strong, but they get very little pushback. They don't get hated on as much. I think the greasiest is probably sports betting touts than maybe stock market than DFS. But for whatever reason, the DFS touting, people have kind of enjoyed it. And there's been, you know, rotor grinders did a good job with creating content and shows around it. And people, I think, are drawn to it. And a lot of touts go different directions. Some touts are like game theory guys. Some touts are more cash game oriented. And Uh, I will not even call these guys touts, but one thing, you know, going back to the beginning of the industry, aside daily roto and drew Dinkmeyer specifically and Mike Leone, uh, they were the first guys to put out premium content for a subscription. And literally, if you just read their content and, you know, went through kind of their process and interact with those guys, you were a massive winning player, uh, in the beginning part of the industry. Um, and that's because a lot of new people are coming in and weren't aware of it. And I think that foundation kind of built the rest of the industry and obviously they've adapted now they have a lot of tools and you know, that's not winning anymore. But I think the fact that they kind of like Drew is a Dartmouth guy. He's really bright. He's quantitative. He's running models. He's doing simulations. He's, he's truly a really brilliant guy. And he realized, okay uh, you know, I can hedge my speculation by putting out this subscription site and uh, he did great work every single day. He really did a great job. And I think that, kind of built the foundation for the industry and why people were more willing to trust touts, uh initially and that was in air quotes so, so that's is, changed is, is now. Matthew? Is would
1: you would you consider matthew Barry closer to vegas dave or rufus in the sports betting analogy
0: oh, but i like matthew so i'll say closer to rufus i mean vegas <laughs> dave is the most repulsive person but he certainly doesn't have the same approach as Rufus, although he tries, like, like it's, he tries to incorporate data, but but no, but you're it's, talking about the three. So we're all we're all completely friendly. different we're
1: things, though, right? No, I but, mean, but this is Vegas, like Vegas. Dave is a marketer. No, but stop. Matthew this Barry is like a fascinating. Content, Let's let like everyone thinks Vegas Dave is a scumbag, and Matthew Barry is nothing close to Vegas Dave. But the point of Matthew Barry and all three of us are friends of his. But if he did what he did in the world of sports betting. We would think he was a tau, right?
0: And that's why my point. Absolutely, call him a tau. And fantasy people love it, and I think it's because of the entertainment. I think that was the initial like allure of fantasy is that you could do a league with your wife and or your buddies, and you play for ten dollars. It wasn't. It was more the trash talk and having fun. And I think the personalities and entertainment that some of the fantasy and no sir, they're analysts. That's what they're, they're right.
1: called. and this is like the question that I asked. This is why I asked them that question at Sloan, and I don't know. If Rufus, I know you're there. I don't know if Peter yeah. if, you, if you saw this. My
0: favorite Sloan thing as a total aside was uh with Haralabob uh, and the canter. I mean that's that's that was, that's that that's the, the best panel ever at that's, Sloan. That's and that's all that was all Haralabob. So no
1: well, that's you you
0: got it going. You, go. that's you were that's I think that's one of your superpowers, Jeff, is uh is being on those panels and kind of getting the uh the banter going between people. That's you gotta keep doing that.
1: I, I appreciate that. So but the point about Barry, if we go back to this, um you know, I asked him at Sloan, I said, if you knew that people were winning and losing millions of dollars on your recommendations, would there be like a higher sense of like your own sort of responsibility in the recommendations you make and that kind of thing? And I know Matthew like takes to heart what he does and he cares a lot if he Mm -hmm. recommends someone and they suck, but it's, Different, right? Wait, are you are you, are, are you talking about a player or a or a business? <laughs> I'm talking about a player, Rufus That was maybe the funniest thing you've That, ever
0: was, that was that
1: Really good. You might just want to like log off now and end on a good note, like Costanza. Uh-huh. So he's, um, been, he's,
0: he's been great about yeah the players. Uh, um, never mind. That. I'm, I'm, I'm done. No, well, but so my,
1: so my my point my point is that it, it is interesting, right? And we've this is like you know me, I like index very much on these nuances and these deeply, and this this notion of fantasy versus sports betting and almost like the cultural acceptance around the motivation for why you do it allows these touts and these people like Barry to basically be entertainment. Whereas like we look at someone else that's giving out shitty picks and maybe this is like gambling Twitter to some degree, like all the Seville people that make me think this way. But if someone's giving out bad picks, even if they're not selling them, even if they're giving them out on like ESPN Insider or on CBS, you know, pregame show, it, it bothers me for some oh, reason. It and really bothers me. Fantasy you. would never bother me. Well, it, Jeff's also like, Je- I feel like, Jeff, you think there's the coronavirus touts out there too, huh? I just think you're lazy when you do your takes on Corona. That's all. And and I've heard other people agree with me. This is like, and this is my Trump moment. I hear other people agree with me too. So you, I've got to be right. So.
0: Yeah. I, I just, last thing on this, cause I think it's really interesting when you look at all those different things, like the stock touting thing, like I almost think that that is, I'm not sure what I think is worse. The stock touting versus the uh, the sports betting touting. And the one interesting thing with DFS and stock touting is DFS, it was much more likely that the, the quote unquote touts or analysts were profitable because it's a peer to peer game. And in the stock market, they're actually not in a zero sum game. They're in this market that's continuing to grow. So some of these stock touts can actually, you know, say, here, look at my record, and they're doing relatively well. And there's all these different incentives to be a stock tout. But the most repulsive people to me out of all the touts are like the Online Trading Academy. You know, let me teach you to be a day trader. look at how how many millions I've made. But that that's, God, that's I saw somewhat... an ad for that recently. So, for like the and, and now you see ads, ads nonstop for that on YouTube, right? Like yeah. that's 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 transitioning even more. And you and that to me, it's like the like the the selling of like with sports betters, right? It's so hard to win in sports betting that you know the touts when they're saying, Oh, I'm 70 and 30 in my last hundred, like go you're gonna win money with me guaranteed, or whatever they say. Like it's obviously a scam. And that's what really bothers me about the sports betting side, or the, the stock side too, with like the, let me teach you to be a day trader, you'll make millions. Whereas in fantasy, I don't think they're, not as often were they ever promising stuff like that. And in DFS, it was a lot easier to win, especially early on in the industry. That's a fair point.
1: Like the marketing, like Matthew Barry, for example, doesn't market his, that he's going to help you win millions playing, you know, playing fantasy. But Peter, you forgot crypto
0: touts they fitting? Oh, crypto touts is yeah, that's another one. The pumping and, and all. That. There's some crazy. And I got into the crypto game. The one, the funny story is in uh, during the crypto boom. There was a roto grinder show where they literally didn't mention DFS at all. They were just talking about crypto coins. And I don't know how at that moment I didn't sell every other token outside of Bitcoin that I had at that point. But that's a total aside. And the crypto touts are pretty sleazy too. It does feel like sometimes,
1: you know, looking back, it's like, how do we not realize this was, you know, I mean, and Peter, you were telling me yesterday about uh, a certain, or maybe a few days ago about a certain trade and you're like, they were talking about it on, you know, with stocks, they were talking about it on CNBC. You're like, okay, I know, I know
0: it's time to pull the plug. now. Yeah. The oil tankers. I, when, once I saw CNBC touting, and that was like uh, I mean, that was the high for the day for sure. So that was uh,
1: our bearded friend was touting that also on our private, um, chat
0: group. Uh,
1: okay. I think this is good guys. I think we've covered a lot and I think it's been pretty awesome. Thanks for joining us, Peter. And hopefully what will be our first ever, uh, podcast as part of a new podcast network or podcast network that's been around, but new for us. So with that, thank you guys for joining us. You guys want to say goodbye? And thank you, Peter, for joining us. That's been, oh, been thanks awesome.
0: Thanks for having me. Uh Genuinely a huge fan of what you guys are doing. And uh, keep fighting. Analytically driven media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it.
1: Puppetees are butt to and running off of leaded.